When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 237, and today we are talking about a great book coming out in December 2019. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi. How's it going? It's good. We're like here on a Monday, which we never are together. We're recording early and rolling into the holidays. Yes. I'm ready. Me too. Yeah. I have I have a cold. I have like I usually am like I usually joke about having the plague, but that's like not a joke that you can really make anymore because it's like a <laughs> serious thing now. Um, which is just amazing to me. So yeah, so I've just had a cold and I'm coming out from under my cold medication today so we'll see what i say who are you just kidding uh (laughs) before we get into my nonsense um we are going to tell you about today's sponsor one of today's sponsors today's episode is brought to you by harper horizon publisher of walk ride paddle Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so... 
uh, we're going to do something fun here for the first book because um, I love this book. I want Rebecca to read it. She read it. We're going to kind of like jointly talk about it. Um, do you want me to kick it off? Do you want to kick it off, Rebecca? Sure. Why don't you kick it off? Okay. So you've heard me mention this book 500,000 times already. It is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. It comes out on the last day of the year, which honestly, I think it's kind of nonsense. Like, why? I have no idea. Because this is like one of the best books of next year. And they moved it from January 7th to the 31st of December. So I'm calling it the best book of this year and next year. There you go. It's a twofer. Yeah. But I read it back in July and I have not been able to stop thinking about it or talking about it. I reread it the other day. Uh, It is an amazing, amazing debut novel about race, privilege, white guilt, love, power, money. Uh, It's just incredible. So to give you an idea of how it starts, Amira is a young black woman uh, in New York. She is the babysitter for a very wealthy white family. And she gets a phone call. Uh, She's at a party and she gets a phone call from the parents of the girl she watches saying there's been some sort of incident at the house. Something has happened. Nothing to the children. Just like something has happened. The cops are there. So they need Amira to take their daughter, Briar, who is a little toddler, uh, to take her somewhere out of the house because all this is going on. So she goes over. She takes uh, Briar down the street to this, like, high-end grocery store that's that's still open. And while she's in there, a woman sees her, a young black woman, walking around with a white child in a very affluent white neighborhood and decides something is wrong here and gets a security guard who then start questioning her, like, why are you with this child? Is this your child? They ask, you know, the little girl, is this your mom? And she says no. So now they're, like, all suspicious. And the incident ramps up until they finally call the father of the child, Briar's father, and he comes and says, no, you know, like, this is our nanny. And, you know, and so the incident is being filmed on a phone by a bystander, and he catches up with Amira and says, you know, that was terrible. What happened to you? Like, we should put this on social media. You should sue everybody. And she's just kind of like, no, you know, I, I don't want that. I don't want that kind of attention. I don't, you know, I just I just want to be left alone. You know, let's not do that. Um, and, you know, goes home, and the mother, Alex, who is, like, the other main character, she is just mortified that this happened to her. Like, she can't believe it, and she wants to try and make it up to her somehow. Um, and I'm going to let you take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, the whole book really hinges on the relationship between Alex and Amira and Alex as this affluent white woman who wants to think of herself as progressive and empathetic and woke and really, really wants a relationship with Amira that will prove this, you know, not just a boss employee kind of relationship, but she wants them to be friends. Um, Amira is a young black woman employed by this rich white woman. And like, all of Alex's shenanigans just kind of come across as like weird shenanigans. She notices how Alex is trying to befriend her. She's not sure what to think of it. Um, Amira's storyline of really kind of also hinges on that she's not sure what she wants to do with her life. She loves caring for Briar, but everyone else in her life is telling her like she should get a real job or a full-time nannying position or something where she can make more money and really like you know, be paid what she's worth, but she doesn't know what she wants to do. And the book bounces back and forth between their two perspectives, which I really appreciated that you get to watch in like up close cringy detail, how Alex tries to plot getting close to 
Amira to make herself feel okay about her privilege and to make herself feel okay about being a wealthy white woman who has a black nanny who's not really making enough money to pay her own bills or have her own place or live in a nice apartment. And then Amira just wanting to live her life and be with her friends and struggling and trying to make sense of all of this. And then also trying to figure out what to do with this encounter that happened at the market. And should she release the video or not? Um, Does she want to get involved in it or let it go? And how does that complicate the relationship that she has with Alex and Alex's husband who employ her since they become aware of what happened? And the whole reason that she is at the market in the first place is that someone has gotten mad at Alex's husband, who appears on the news, for saying something that appears to be racist and thrown something through their window. So there's all of these like complications around image and how um, how privileged white people want to be perceived around their interactions with people of color, and then what that experience is actually like for the person of color who's on the receiving end of all that posturing. It's like, I I use the word cringy already, but I think it's cringy in all the ways that a story like this should be to shed light on complexities and problems in, um, in relationships like this, where privilege and power are so imbalanced, where Amira is asked to to do things, and then asked if she's okay with them or asked what she thinks, but there's not really a choice. Um, And then the level of entitlement that Alex has around a lot of things in her life is really astonishing. So I don't know how where else we want to go without giving away some of the um, the bigger surprises of the book, but I think it, it just handles really difficult things in a way that's like this is a page turning story. I read it in one sitting. It's just a great, fun, interesting novel, but it does really big important things too. Yeah, I mean th- we haven't mentioned yet, but like you know how I feel about coincidences, despite the fact that. Mm-hmm crazy, crazy ones keep happening in my life. You know, I don't really like them, but there is an enormous coincidence in this book that sort of turns the situation and sort of upends the situation between Alex and Amira, um, which I'm not going to spoil. A lot of the reviews I've been looking at have spoiled it, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. But I felt so realistic. I felt like I was there. Mm -hmm. Like, it was so real and just just incredible. And the thing that I, I... One of the things I love about this book the most is the relationship between Amira and Briar. One of the reasons that Amira doesn't want to leave her job is because Briar is like this sassy, hilarious, really sweet little girl. And Amira loves her. And she like, she's like thinking like, what's going to happen when I leave her behind? You know, like it's one of the reasons she's afraid to leave her job. Um, I just loved that relationship between the two of them. I just thought it was so, so sweet. Uh, and it's just this book. And like you said, cringy. Yes. It makes you uncomfortable. And it's supposed to, and it should. Um, you know, it, it's it's so fantastic. And I want everyone to read it. And I don't understand why they stuck it at the end of the year. Yeah, the release date is a real travesty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I hate saying that because I feel bad for other people whose books are coming out that day, too. You know, like, it, I mean, maybe, like, everybody's shopping with their gift certificates, you know, after the holidays. But, like, I mm-hmm. don't know. But So I just want to talk about it as many times as I can so that everyone remembers it and gets it and reads it because it's incredible. It really is. I I saw somebody mention last week, I can't remember what I was reading, but like after I finished it, I started looking at what people were saying about it online. And someone pointed out like, this is just ripe to be like a Netflix series or an adaptation of some kind. And I think it could like, this is just a, it's a great story that does a lot of important things and talks about a lot of big social issues. And um, to do that in a way that doesn't feel like it's hitting you over the head, like it delivers it really smoothly. And I'd love to see this get adapted somewhere. Yes. 
So it is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Yeah. Oh, it's me again. Right. Because we did it. We did it together. Because we just buddied up. Mm-hmm. Yes. My next pick. Uh, so like we said, these are all books that are coming out in December. Uh, you've heard us say it before, you know, the last six weeks of the year, uh, they're the publishing slows way, way, way down because of the holidays. So not a lot comes out. So we're kind of like picking our favorites and then we'll be doing some best of episodes. Uh, so my next one is Dead Astronauts by Jeff Vandermeer, which comes out on the 3rd of December. It is set during, uh, during, or in the universe of the Bourne novel that he wrote, the one with the giant skyscraper sized bears and the green blobs. Um, which I talked about a couple years ago. Uh, and Jeff Vandermeer is, you know, of the, um, he wrote Authority and Acceptance. And I'm forgetting the the other book in that trilogy. He's amazing, amazing, amazing. I love him. Um, you do not have to read Born to understand this book because it does not make any sense. Like I read Born, <laughs> which, I, you know, I was barely hanging in there. I loved it. Uh, and, but this one does not make any sense at all. And I loved it. It, it just, it's amazing. The cover of this book is like melted rainbows with like astronauts floating in them. And I think that's supposed to be, or could possibly be an image of someone's brain after they read this book, because it, I don't know what was going on. And I loved it. Uh, it's set in this like post-apocalyptic future. And there are um, this, this city, this unnamed city. And then there's the company. And it's obvious that like the company is evil. Um, but you know, I'm trying to explain it to you and I'm not going to be able to do it. But there are like these three travelers who go back and forth between the city named Grayson, Morse, and Chen. Uh, and they're not human, but they're not not human. And they are alive, but they're also not alive. Um, so like Schrodinger's travelers, I don't know. But <laughs> you, you know that like they've gone up against the company and failed. Uh, there's a, a blue fox who they interact with. And a bunch of other people, like, it's like Invisible Cities if you soaked it in acid. Um, <laughs> it, it, like I said, I cannot tell you what is going on, but the language in the writing is so wonderful that you kind of make your own sense of it. And it's definitely a book that you could reread and be like, okay, I kind of see what's going on. Or maybe not. I don't know. I, I just, I loved it. It, was, it sounds weird. Sometimes when you say, like, I don't understand what's happening, but I love this book. But I did. It's beautiful, and it feels like it's full of hope, even though it's about, like, the apocalypse and after. But I am definitely team experience over team cohesion, so, Mm. you know, I I really enjoyed it. It is Dead Astronauts, and it is by Jeff Vandermeer. And before you tell us your next one, we're going to talk about our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelid. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And 
who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, Black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, Black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, it's you. All right, this next pick is one I haven't seen yet because I don't believe they did galleys of it. And it is at the top of my wish list this holiday season. It's The Measure of Our Lives, A Gathering of Wisdom um, by Toni Morrison with a foreword by Zadie Smith. As you know, Toni Morrison passed away earlier this year. And this book is a collection of quotations from her entire body of work, all the fiction and the nonfiction, that is set up to uh, set up and ordered according to all the descriptions, to tell a story of self-actualization, of how she became who she is, and to inspire readers to go on their own similar journeys. It tries to evoke like the entirety of her work and, um, and of her writing career. I'm really, really excited about this Listeners of this show and the Book Riot podcast have heard me talk for literal years about um, how important Toni Morrison's work was and it has been to me as a reader, how important she is just in modern, not just modern fiction, but modern thinking about race, class, color, gender, the intersections of all of those things. She was writing about the intersections of all of those things before we had the term intersectionality and telling stories that opened readers' eyes onto new experiences, but also that represented um, people of color, that represented Black people, especially Black women, in stories that were intended for that same audience, that weren't written for the audience of white people, that weren't written for attempts at commercial success or at being easily understood or accessible by a wide audience. She wanted to tell the story of where she came from. And she wanted to talk about things that are real and that are difficult and to say, like, this is the story for me and the story for my people. And if it's not for you, that's fine. It's not for you. Um, Just there's real power in that approach and just in the beauty of her language, the creativity. Um, Sometimes in her work, you don't know what's happening in the same way that you were just talking about with the Jeff Vandermeer. Like it's confusing and the experience of muddling through it and making sense of it is part of part of the learning of reading that work. I cannot wait to get my hands on this and see um, what the editors of the book have done to put together these quotations from her work. And of course, 
a forward by Zadie Smith is something to be excited about. It sounds to me like it would be um, like Toni Morrison's words on their own are very powerful. So a great gift if you're just looking for something to give someone who wants something inspirational and substantial, um, or potentially as an introduction to Morrison's work, but definitely anyone in your life who loved her work would uh, most likely really love this too. So that is The Measure of Our Lives, A Gathering of Wisdom by Toni Morrison and a foreword by Zadie Smith. Okay, my next pick is The Glittering Hour by Iona Gray, who I have never read before, but uh, looking online after I read this, she has many, 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 many fans. Um, It is historical fiction. And so people say to me all the time, what do you read? Like, what do you like to read? And it's like, well, I read everything um, because I want to try and cover everything. But, you know, to be honest, if I have to choose things for myself, I usually don't pick romances. You know, I'm I'm very skeptical and I'm a monster. So I'm always like, ew, <laughs> gross, love, yuck, you know. So, but I'm always pleasantly surprised when I read things that are like love stories and, and they're wonderful. Um, so this is a love story. It's about a party girl and a painter in England. Uh, it's set in 1925 and 1936. Uh, in 1925, right, uh, after the end of the First World War, there is a young woman named Selena. She is the party girl that I mentioned. Uh, she comes from privilege. She lives in a huge mansion. Her family is very rich. Uh, she just wants to party, party, party. Partly because her brother Howard died, uh, in the war and she's very upset about that. And you know, she's like kind of burning off all her um, grief and all her feelings. And she meets a young man uh, named Lawrence, who is a painter. He paints portraits of World War I soldiers and they fall in love. Um, and now you for Selena, who is from this uh, family of privilege uh, to marry, you know, in your station or above is what you do. Um, you know, and Lawrence is a you know, poor, you know, struggling artist. So that's not going to go over well. So what is she going to do? Is she going to choose Lawrence and say goodbye to her family? Or is she going to marry her? It's like her father's business associate's son or something that her parents want her to marry. Um, so you wait, you're waiting to find out what's happening there. And then in 1936, we meet Selena's daughter, Alice. She is nine years old. Her mother is traveling, so she's been left behind at her grandparents' estate. She's very unhappy about this, um, but her mother has left her some clues to go on a treasure hunt and learn some things about her and her family's home. So she goes, so Alice is like exploring the grounds um, and learning different things, making friends with the gardener. And so it's, it's a tearjerker, you know, it's about societal expectations and war, and mother and daughters, and, like, you know that Selena is away with her husband, um, you know, but who is her husband? Mm. Uh, and it's just, it's just, like, a really, you can just, like, sink into it. It's, you know, a really great historical novel, and just, like, a novel in general. Um, also, I will say there is a cat death. Um, that is how Lawrence and Selena meet. Someone hits a cat. So, heads up for that, if that makes you sad, because it makes me sad. Um, but, you know, uh, you know it's coming. So, um, it is the glittering hour by Iona Gray. I almost forgot. Like, what were we talking about? Books. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, where was I going with this? The cat died, and I got all distracted. But yes, it's you now. Okay. 
Um, my next one is called This is Going to Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Medical Resident by Adam Kay. Uh, this book has sold like one and a half million copies um, internationally. It was originally published in the UK. Adam Kay is a comedian and a former medical resident. And during his first year of being a, a medical resident, he was working, you know, like 90 or 100 hour weeks, doing all sorts of the things that brand new doctors or doctors in training are do, doing. You're dealing with life and death. You're dealing with all kinds of like bodily stuff that can be gross and fascinating. And there are difficult moments and lots of emotions to manage and basically zero personal life and just all kinds of things happen. Plus, you're like in the pressure cooker of this closed environment with other people who are also going going through this stressful experience and those relationships can come out in all kinds of ways too. Um, so as he's going through this, like basically not sleeping and not seeing his friends and family and working a billion hours a week and learning to be a doctor and deal with patients and do all of like the medical and the personal things, he's taking secret notes. And this is going to hurt is essentially a collection of those reflections and memories, stories, things that happened in that time. Um, one of the blurbs for it compares this to like David Sedaris and that sort of dark humor um, that things are funny and horrifying at the same time and also heartfelt um, talking about the truth of working in a hospital, dealing with life and death and medicine and all that stuff all at once. And I think that comparison is relatively apt, though. Like, it's really hard to compare anyone to David Sedaris and not have them suffer by that comparison. Sedaris is just such a master. Um, but this is a different kind of medical memoir. Like I've read all of the Atul Gawande. I've read a bunch of other memoirs by doctors who talk about the experience and they take it very seriously and with the kind of gravitas that you want your doctor to have. But Adam Kay brings this perspective too of like some of these things are funny and sometimes just being a human is weird and funny and also horrifying and difficult at the same time. And um, so I appreciate that perspective as well. I think this one would probably be really fun on audio. Um, and I've been thinking about what to take with me on road trips over the holiday season that um, Bob and I would both enjoy. So I'm going to be looking for that when it comes out on audio. So it's, this is going to hurt Secret Diaries of a Medical Resident by Adam Kay. There's also a, a little collection um, called Twas the Night Shift Before Christmas. Because, um, the Christmas time at an emergency room is like, I think like their busiest time, like that. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the 4th of July, like everybody's yep. traveling, everybody's together, everybody's with their family, uh, you know, like trying to deal with that. And so the, the hospital is, is always, always, always packed. Uh, so there's like a little collection of that too that you can check out. Um, I haven't read either of these, um, because I was waiting and then I was like, I think Rebecca would like this. So, yep. I am going to check it out though. I love a, a hospital medical story book. Although I still didn't read. Did you read Di or watch Diagnosis? That was on was on Netflix, and it was a book. No, mm -mm. I didn't finish that, but I I wanted to check that out. Um, my last pick is nothing like yours. Uh, it mm. is Good Girls Lie by J T Ellison, um, which also comes out on the thirty first. Why do books come out? Don't understand. <laughs> um, so I love J.T. Allison, and she writes really fun thrillers. This, the title, first of all, is a play on the uh, private elite boarding school in the novel. It is good boarding. It's G O O D E, uh, and so it is a boarding school for the daughters of the rich and powerful. Uh, it's set in Virginia, 
Um, and basically, the girls run the school uh, because as long as they don't do anything too horrible, like burn the school down or you know, get in the news for any reason, they're allowed to do whatever they want. The administration does not really pay attention to them because their parents are very rich and powerful and they're, they have a lot of influence and they're basically afraid of them. Uh, the girls and the parents. So there's like secret societies and all kinds of like drugs and drinking and all kinds of stuff going on. But as long as nothing too bad happens, you know, it's not a big deal. But then murder. So <laughs> that's something. But then murder. Yeah, that's something that can't be ignored. Um, so now they have to figure out like what happened to this young woman. Um, there's lots of twists and turns. It's very nasty. Basically, an all girls boarding school full of mean girls is like, my nightmare <laughs> that you know like seriously no like i you know i was tormented just in my regular school i don't want to go to an all girls boarding school um i'll probably have like i just read it yesterday so i'll probably have like horrible like terror dreams of like being at an all girls boarding school and my teeth are falling out you know like we'll just mix <laughs> it up um but it's just it's like i love jt ellison's books she's just consistently fun also, she's a scream. I met her in person, which I just, I adore her. Um, this is turned into a JT Ellison fangirling, but it's true. She's amazing. Um, so if you want like a really fun book with some twists and turns and some of them, you like, you really, they're not going to be what you expect. It is Good Girls Lie by JT Ellison. All right. Um, my last round this week is a catch up on books that already came out this year twofer because that is where I am for the remainder of the year I do used to be like a backlist binge between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And now it's mostly just catching up on all kinds of things. Um, so two that I have read recently, and I'm so glad that I didn't completely miss out on are Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. He was reporting the Weinstein sexual assault scandal story before Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey got started on it at the New York Times. He was working on it for NBC. And if NBC hadn't squashed his reporting on it, he would have broken the story uh, rather than it coming out at the New York Times. And this is the this book is the story about how he researched and prepared to break that story, along with all of the scandalous, awful, horrifying, and also unsurprising details about how and why his reporting was squashed. Also big details into the lengths to which Harvey Weinstein went to try to um, go after the people who were speaking about him on record, to go after the reporters, to intimidate them into not pursuing the story or not telling the story. And then if you read She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, it gets into some of those things. Um, but Catch and Kill goes into way more of the like dirty details about the systems and the corruption all in place to protect Harvey Weinstein um, and all the people that were afraid of going against him, really, uh, just how successful he was in threatening people not to release this kind of information about him and how he really kind of had tentacles like everywhere. It's scary and um, I think really important that we're aware that these are the kinds of things that happen to reporters who are going after big important stories about powerful people. Um, and it's like, it's juicy, not in a this is fun to listen to kind of way, but in a like, my jaw just drops. You know, I was I listened to it on audio and just like driving around my jaw would drop like every five minutes about something else that Pharaoh was um, revealing about it. I'm really glad that since he didn't get to break the story, he's getting to tell this side of it and expose NBC even further um, for the way that they prevented that story from coming out. Because, you know, ultimately it did come out and now they look 
even worse for trying to bury it. Um, so that's a good one. Really important. If you read She Said, they go together very well to sort of build a full picture. If you haven't read either of those, I would definitely recommend reading or listening to them together. Uh, and the other one is Burn the Place. Uh, it's a memoir by Ileana Reagan. And this is, I think, the food book of the year. Um, Ileana Reagan grew up in the Midwest on a small farm. She was super tomboyish and actually really wanted to be a boy. And she says in the book that if she had grown up in a different time or place, she might have understood her identity in a different way as a trans person. As it was, she grew up to um, discover that she's gay. And so she was the youngest daughter in a family of all girls. Her parents had a, a volatile relationship. She was an alcoholic before she was 20. Um, she was gay in a community that was not tolerant or open yet um, about gay individuals. And she sort of stumbles her way into working in restaurants. Um, the book opens with some stories about her earliest memories of food and feeling connected to cooking, and then takes you up through her, you know, young adult life when she's getting into restaurants, but also getting into all kinds of trouble. And then ultimately how she ends up as the chef of a Michelin starred restaurant, which is called Elizabeth. Um, it's raw and gritty in some of the same ways like the early Bourdain books were, but her voice is entirely her own. I, I don't think it would be doing either her or Bourdain to compare them to each other. Um, but if you like that kind of story and you're as interested in the person behind the food as you are in the food stuff, like there's much more person in this book than there is food stuff. Um, and I really love that, that it's a fascinating life story, very thoughtfully and very like openly and vulnerably told. She reveals a lot of unflattering stuff about herself to talk about where she came from and how she got to where she is. And um, just really remarkable. It was long listed for the National Book Award. And I think it deserves a lot of attention. I've been seeing it pop up on some best books of the year list. I certainly wish that I had read it sooner. Um, so that's Burn the Place by Ileana Reagan. Okay, so those are books coming out in December. And a couple of, you know, catch up on these. What are you going to read next? What am I going to read next? I think I'm going to read Trust Exercise by <gasps> Susan Choi. Oh. <laughs> so divisive. I know. I have heard, That's kind of why I want to read it is that people have been like, well, you either love it or you hate it. And everyone has strong opinions about it. And I would like to at least find out which side of strong opinion I am there. Plus, it just won the National Book Award. Yeah. So. I will say again, I said this when I endorsed it and I will say it again. I really suggest reading half the book you have to get there's it's in two parts and you have to get through the first part mm. um and see how you feel about it once you realize what's going on when the second okay. part starts i loved it but you know i was actually really surprised though that to see that it won the national book award i did not think did not successfully pick any of the winners except for the nonfiction. i knew that that the yellow house was going to win mm. i just knew it but i'm excited to hear what you're going to think about it uh speaking of excited yes I love reading. Every month is an amazing reading month for me. But December, we do all the the wrap-up shows. So mm -hmm. I don't have any reading specific to release dates. So I just go wild. 
you know. <laughs> and like usually thinking like, what's liberty? Like reading, like what's that look like? Because you mm-hmm. know, sorry. But yeah, so like I can just read whatever I want, and it's like, <gasps> do I read backlist? Do I start reading my books for next year? Like more of them? Like what do I do? What do I do? Usually I end up like just watching TV for two weeks and then being like, ah, I gotta start reading some books. Um, but I think I'm going to continue reading a uh, Stay and Fight by Madeline Fitch, which came out in the summer, and somehow I did not get to it, and then so many... The other day I asked people, like, what's a book um, that you read that needs more attention that came out this year? And so many people said Stay and Fight. Uh, So I've been reading that. I just started it. It's so good. And then just whatever, I don't know, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm just like, I can read whatever I want! You know, and like, having to read books that come out on certain dates is already pretty awesome. Like, I'm not complaining about that at all, but (laughs) now I'm just like, I could read all of the you know, babysitter club books if I wanted to. Uh, I don't think I'm going to. Although I have never read one, so maybe I should. Anyway, I'll, I'm going to mark that down. So, there we go. Um, this is our last show together for 2019 and for the decade. Yeah. Oh! Isn't it I feel yes. like everyone has forgotten that this is the last year of the decade. And all I of totally a sudden, have. everyone's going, <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Um, and so it, it's, everybody's like panicking, like all these best of the decade lists are coming out. Like, but like we have like best of next year lists that come out in the summer, you know? It's like, why yeah. haven't you been working on these for a while? Um, but yeah, last show of the decade. So that is it. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us on, are you still on Instagram? I never know. Yeah, you. just on yeah, the Instagram. Yeah, you are. These I, days. I saw your tree this morning. Um, <laughs> Rebecca is on Instagram at Rebecca Shinsky. Uh, and I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out in December, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.